Welcome to Aphesis Church Podcast Channel. If you're in Columbia, South Carolina area, we would love to get to know you better and for you to experience what Aphesis is all about. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at aphesischurch.com. It is our prayer that this message truly speaks to you. God bless. Praise God. Let's clap our hands under the Lord one more time and thank him for the presence of the Lord that we feel here today. He is an awesome God. He is worthy of all of our praise, all of all that he is due. He is worthy today. What a great God that we serve. Amen. Praise God. Uh, I want to give honor today to your pastor and his wife. Amen. And I'm glad that he likes me before he met me. That's a good thing. Amen. Uh, We are just blessed to be a part of the kingdom of God. I concur with him. We are privileged to be a part of what God is doing in this hour. Amen. Uh, You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Again, thank you to the praise team. It is such a great job. And if I had those two young people for ushers everywhere we went, we would travel a lot shorter, I think. If they're taking up offerings, they did a great job. That was awesome. Amen. Uh, I am so happy today to spend a few minutes talking about what God is doing in the nation of Malawi uh, before we go into the word of the Lord. But uh, Malawi, I'm glad that I've always got to tell people we are in Malawi, Africa, because if you just say you're in Malawi, they think you're in Maui. Yeah. Some of you probably thought we were missionaries to Maui, but you have to break people's heart after the service when they want to come visit you, of course, and tell them, oh, sure, come on. We're in Africa. Where? (laughs) Thought you were in the the Hawaiian Islands, but I'm so glad my wife is with me today and our daughter, JC. I've been married over 21 years to this wonderful lady, Sister Penny Gibbs, and uh, we have a unique story. We met in Louisiana in 97, and then again, uh, the Lord opened the door for me to go into West Africa, Cameroon and Nigeria. And uh, six months after I was in Nigeria, a young lady got off the plane, and that was Sister Penny. And two years later, we were married. So uh, I learned something, young people. You follow the will of God wherever it leads you, and it will open the door for everything that you need. If you follow what God wants, he will bring into your path. I didn't go to Africa looking for a wife. She didn't go to Africa looking for a husband. We went following the will of God, and that burden desire was in both of us before we ever met. So it was a blessing to what the Lord has done. Amen. Uh, we came home and were married, thought we'd be back in the field in days. And instead, we assisted Pastor Keller in my home church in Lancaster, Ohio, for nine years, which was a tremendous honor and blessing. And then God opened the door for us to go back into Africa. So it was a, a wonderful thing. Our children uh, knew that we were opening, uh, going to open the door to go back to Africa when God was ready and walk through that. Our families knew that, but God was gracious and uh, gave both sides of our family a little bit of time with our kids because they are the only grandkids on both sides of the family. So uh, I learned real fast when I was in Malawi within three months, my mother had came to visit. And I said, it's funny, you never came all those years in West Africa. And I said, obviously, it wasn't about coming to see me. So grandkids have a way of pulling on the hearts of people. Amen. But uh, uh, I'm so glad our daughter, JC, is with us today. She is 13 going on 21. And if you're a parent, you understand that completely. And uh, we have our uh, oldest son, Caleb, only other son, child. He is nine. 19, he'll be 20 in August, and he is at Indiana Bible College following his call in the ministry. He's actually out today with a group of students in Southern Illinois, and they are preaching and singing and, and letting God use them, and I think that's exciting. I think the church is in good hands in our next generation. Amen. 
God is raising up great young people. Uh, but we have been in Malawi now a little over 10 years. And let me say this and preface my remarks that the revival that has come to Malawi has been a God revival, not a Gibbs revival. God has done the work in our nation. And we have been able to step back and say, look what the Lord has done. Uh, Malawi is known throughout the entire world as the warm heart of Africa, uh, not because of hot temperatures, but because of the nature of the Malawian people. Uh, Malawians are very kind, very considerate. We've never had a civil war in our nation. Uh, any of you ladies could travel anywhere in our nation anytime during the day. Nobody, nobody would bother you anywhere. Even in our most remote villages or markets, you would be completely safe. So Malawi has been blessed because of that, and it has opened a great door for revival. Um, most of your African nations are very large and expansive, like Texas. Uh, Malawi is the size of West Virginia, so we are incredibly small in the continent of Africa, but we have 21 million people in our nation, so we are incredibly densely populated. Uh, when Pastor Keller comes to visit, uh, he will just sleep in the car the entire time because he refuses to stay awake because we're on a two-lane road driving 70 mile an hour, and you are passing people 6 to 12 to 18 inches from your mirror. And he just says, I can't do it, Gibbs. I'm going to sleep. Wake me up when we get wherever we're going. Uh, but people have to walk everywhere. Um, and that's due to the uh, amazing... Um, poverty that has hit Malawi and has been there. We are always in the top 10 poorest countries in the world. So um, to let you know what that means really and put that in uh, fiscal terms, average family has mom and dad and they have five children. That's an average Malawian family. They live and operate on 600 US dollars a year not a month, a year. So if you make over $50 a month, you are above average. And uh, uh, most of our people, 85% uh, of the nation still walks three to five miles a day for drinking water. They still sleep on bamboo floor mats. Um, this beautiful church and uh, the platform here would probably be one house or possibly even two houses in many villages in Malawi. Uh, so they live in incredible uh, poverty, but everybody's got cell phones. Seriously, everybody's got a cell phone. Uh, it's not a smartphone like you have, but it's a little brick phone that costs about a dollar or two dollars used in the market, and they will use solar panels to charge them, and they will not, uh, they don't leave it on. They will turn it on to call you to save battery power, and then they call you, it's called flashing. They call you and hang up, then you got to call them back and use your dollar to call them. So that's how it works. So I get a lot of those, <laughs> um, but it, it's an amazing opportunity that God has given us. So the incredible population and, and their desire for God has been amazing because even though we're in the top 10 poorest countries in the world, we're always in the top 10 happiest nations in the world. So that proves the words of Jesus that life does not consist in the things a man possesses. Happiness is not found in how many zeros are in the bank account, what we wear, what we drive. True happiness is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And they have understood that. And, and we have watched that. And God has blessed us. In 2019, we celebrated 40 years of apostolic ministry in the nation of Malawi. We were blessed to host our general superintendent, uh, Brother Bernard, came to preach that conference. Thousands gathered together. The Lord filled hundreds with the Holy Ghost. But what I told them, and I would remind us today is this, I am grateful for what God has given us. I am thankful for the 40 years, but this is no time to sit down and rest in the church now. This is the greatest hour of the kingdom of God. And when I look around, I don't see Apostle Peter. I don't see Paul. I don't see Matthew. I see you. And God has chosen us to be a part of 
of the greatest end time revival the world has ever seen. We are part of the kingdom of God to whom the ends of the world have come. And for whatever reason, he has chosen us to facilitate this and carry it forward. And I don't want to sit on the sidelines and watch revival. I, I tell my children, I don't want my kids to hear about revival. I want them to see revival. They should not have to hear about the miracles of the Bible by reading only in the book of Acts. They should see them, live them, experience them because our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever and changes not. And I am glad today they've seen blinded eyes open. They have seen withered limbs open, unwithered. God has done the work and we are thankful for that. God is doing a work, whether in Malawi or in Columbia, South Carolina, he is ready to do a work. He just needs us to, to jump in with both feet, if you will. We have been blessed. The church has doubled in the last 10 years, and we are thankful for that. We now have over 735 churches in the nation of Malawi. So it is growing literally every day. Over 43,000 uh, adults in the constituency. It is growing every day. And in just the last three years, 6,767 people have been baptized in the wonderful name of Jesus. And we give the Lord glory for that today. And we give him all the praise and 13,039 have received the gift of the Holy Ghost and just the last three years revival is here now. God is doing a sovereign work. We have seen revival in our Sunday school programs. If you sponsor Save Our Children, if you are into blessing children, it is the greatest thing we can do. In Malawi, we hosted uh, the Save Our Children's ministry from North America. They sent a team to South Africa, Zambia, and we were blessed in Malawi. We gathered together 1,600 children ages 6 to 16, and you can imagine that's like herding cats. <laughs> it's just they're everywhere. But you know what? In three hours on a Saturday afternoon, 570 and those beautiful children receive the gift of the Holy Ghost with their lives to forever be transformed. When we invest in our children, we blink and turn around and a decade's gone. Us adults, we understand that. We, we were told that when we were young and said, oh, we'll live, we'll be 16 forever. And you turn around and it's 26 and then it's 68, I heard. It's, it happens quickly and those little six-year-olds that you're just trying to keep quiet in the service are now 16 and they're ready to do something powerful in the kingdom of God if we will invest in them. Revival is in our Sunday school. We are grateful for that. We have seen revival in our youth ministries across our nation. We have seen it in our uh, campus ministries. I am very blessed uh, to be the campus ministries coordinator for all of Africa. So I work with all of our universities across the continent, and it is a wide open field. 85% of our college instructors or deans of the schools are open to religion. It's not a closed door. We have been given access into many of our universities, and God has sent great revival. In Malawi, one of our teams went in to a school. They were having final exams on a Friday. They opened the classroom and said, if you need prayer, go ahead. I thought it was wonderful. I thought students taking final exams and they need prayer. Absolutely. <laughs> 50 of those students voluntarily went into that room for prayer. A prayer meeting broke out and two hours later, 20 of the 50 received the gift of the Holy Ghost, not in an apostolic church, but in a university in Malawi. God is raising up his people everywhere. It's happening everywhere. We've seen it in our refugee camps. We've seen it in the crusades. God has blessed us greatly. Uh, in our last crusade, 
state, over 7,500 people were brought in from all over the nation. What we do is we go out and we prepare our churches four months in advance. And we tell them, just like this church, if you want to bring people, prepare them, teach them Bible studies, get them ready. And you've got to think in Malawi, when you have an opportunity to come to Blantyre, it's kind of like taking somebody from out in the middle of the woods and say, we are going to take you to New York City for three days. All of your food will be covered. We're going to transport you in. So it's kind of a hook to bring them in and people are excited. And some churches, they don't send anybody. Other churches we've had send hundreds, but 7,500 people were brought together in that event. And the Lord filled 3,010 of them with the Holy Ghost. Revival is now, ladies and gentlemen. God is doing a work in this hour and we get to all be a part of it, whether we're in Columbia or Malawi, we are all the body of Christ. That's what makes it so great. We've got the same father. It's God. And we've got the church. It's our mother. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ and the revival that is here. We also rejoice with you over that. Amen. Amen. God is doing it. It's been amazing. We've expected God in all the areas that I've delineated in our Sunday school and in our churches and in our uh, conferences. And we've expected God to be moving in those areas. But God has shown up in the last three years in ways we've not expected. We've had revival in our funeral services. And funerals in Malawi are much like they are in the States. Pastors are there to comfort people facing loss. Even our funerals have been limited uh, in this last year to uh, 50 people maximum. So it's been amazing how God has still stepped in. Some people have not held to that restrictions. One of our presbyters died before we left to come home before these rules went into place. Over 300 people gathered for his funeral. And right in the middle of his funeral, our pastors have begun preaching the gospel. They've done it with class. They've done it with tact. And they have reminded people that eternity is coming. There is a heaven to gain. And they're reminding people of that. And it's a perfect opportunity. Right in the middle of the presbyter's funeral, 110 people stood up and they said, we have heard enough. And when you hear that normally, it's not a good sign when you're up there ministering and someone says, I've heard enough. But they finished the statement. They said, we have heard enough. We are ready for baptism now. 110 people stood up. They shut down the funeral, went down to the river and baptized 110 people in the matchless name of Jesus. And in the last three years, 407 have been baptized in the wonderful name of Jesus. And we just got a report a few days ago, 25 more were baptized and many of them received the Holy Ghost and another funeral just this week in Malawi. Revival is happening now. That lets me know God wants to step in and to places where we're not expecting. We've got our protocols. We've got our routine. And God says, I'm ready now to reach the lost. I'm ready now to step into where there's death and sorrow and despair and remind them that I am the great I am and I am the author and the finisher and I want to save souls everywhere. He wants to do it everywhere. Uh, I literally could spend all afternoon sharing with you statistics of what God has done in Malawi, but the reality is you're not going to remember uh, statistics as much as you're going to remember events or people. Uh, it's literally all about souls. Revival, whether it's 3,010 getting the Holy Ghost or 577 kids or 407 in the funerals, it all comes back to one soul at a time. Amen? Because every one of us sitting here, our families may be saved, but we all had 
our personal experience with Jesus Christ all by ourselves. Mine was at six years old in the basement of the Reynoldsburg church. And for my wife, it was at a conference. My daughter was in a prayer meeting in Malawi before the crusade, the day before when we had a prayer meeting with 500 altar workers. You know what? God knows where to do his work in our lives, but it all comes back to one soul. It comes back to those events. And I've got a few things I'm going to show you. I've got some pictures and some videos. There's only four of them. So don't worry. We're not going to be here long and we're going to go into the word of the Lord. But the revival that has come to Malawi, it has really been focused and, and it has had its root in evangelism. Evangelism is the key. We travel 40 weeks a year in Malawi and abroad spreading the gospel because we've got to get into the highways and the byways. We've got to make sure the people that are not in the four walls of the church are hearing the gospel. We've got to reach them in Walmart. You've got to reach them in Piggly Wiggly. You've got to reach them everywhere you go at our jobs, at our schools, everywhere. People are hungry for the gospel and we cannot restrict it to this building only. And it's the same in Malawi. It's got to go everywhere. And that is incumbent upon us. Evangelism is the key. I've got a video I wanted to show you. The first video, it shows the revival that took place in Malawi. 3,010 received the Holy Ghost in these services. You can see the great hunger in people for the gospel. blinded eyes opened in these services. No one even laid hands on them. God just did the work. Uh, you've got to think these people were brought in from all over the nation, not in a nice air-conditioned motor coach. They were brought in on flatbed semi-trailers. Most of them stood for three, four, five hours to get to the service. Imagine inviting your guests to the church next Sunday and say, we're sending a flatbed truck to pick you up. Uh, no one's going to be on that truck, but their hunger for God is amazing. Their desire for God. We've had executive board members walk five hours to be in a church service all because of their hunger for God. And that is why we are seeing unprecedented revival because their desire for God is great. In that service, the next morning, there was a lady, uh, you know, she kind of broke protocol. The preaching was going on and, and she's out in the audience and everybody's in their seats or they're standing and they're all there and, and the altar area is wide open and, and we have to have guys come out with uh, water and they begin to pour it with a uh, uh, kind of fan it out to keep the dust down in that soccer field that we have the crusade in. And all of a sudden, while the man of God's preaching, this lady in her 60s just comes out of her seat and she's just dancing all over the football field. And some people were looking like, you know, this isn't the time and what's going on. You know what we found out? She came up on the platform and began to testify. She said, my friends, you brought me to this service. You have known me your entire life. I was born blind. But while the man of God was preaching, my eyes were open and I can see you and I can see you and she began to call out her friends by name. You know what? She wasn't waiting for an altar call. The Lord touched her. No one laid hands on her but the power of God fell and she said I'm going to respond. Something happens when we respond to the touch of God. I've got another video. It's not distant crusades but this is a village district conference. You've got some children playing goat skin drums and they've got cut down corn stalks for a roof. You'll see the corn stalks in just a minute. That was to help keep everybody in the shade a little bit. 20-some people received the Holy Ghost in this service. This was a, a district seminar. It's about three hours off the paved road. But you know what's amazing is God is doing the work everywhere. 
Yeah, you can play it again. That's great. God is doing it. And it's fulfilling the word of God out of every tongue, tribe, kindred, and nation. Revival is in some of the most remote parts of the world. It still amazes me as a missionary when I drive our truck down 12-foot-tall elephant grass on a footpath. And you pop out in a little opening and there is a church where they are magnifying the name that is above every name. And you take visitors there and they close their eyes and they say, Brother Gibbs, I don't know a word they're saying because they're speaking Chichewa. It's the only place in the world the language is spoken. And they said, I don't have a clue what they're saying. But oh, that feeling I feel, that same spirit of the Lord is here. What I feel in my home church on a Sunday morning, it's what I feel now. And I realize the kingdom of God is so massive and extensive and God is raising up a number. And, and that's why I enjoy deputation and services like this, because we can come into this beautiful building today with you. And then I can take this back with me to Malawi because some of those village churches, when you're in a building that's about only from here over to there, and they'll have a hundred people squeeze in it. They don't worship left and right. It's up and down only because there's no room. When you put them in that building and all of a sudden they think, you know what? It's just us. There's nobody else. You know, I can say there is a powerful church in Columbia, South Carolina. There is a church that is still believing, still holding on, still clinging to the nail-scarred hand of Jesus Christ. And we are going to meet someday in the clouds. And there we will be forevermore. And it encourages them to know, yes, we may have all these churches in Malawi, but they realize, wait a minute, there's a powerful church in America. There's a powerful church in Columbia. Amen. That's what's amazing. And I hope it encourages you to know what's going on or halfway around the world. Amen. I've got another picture here of Louis Bonda and his wife. Um, evangelism isn't just in crusades. It's not in conference. It's just sometimes me and my wife was the one that took the picture. I didn't know she was doing that. And we were there with Lewis and his wife. Lewis is a drywall guy. He was putting in ceilings in our house and at the Bible school. And you know what? We, he said, yeah, I've got a, uh, a church background. And you know what? I thought, okay, I've got an open door. 20 minutes in the car going to pick up drywall mud. I began to ask him about, uh, I just began to use the Bible school. I said, I love our Bible school. He said, really? I said, oh yeah. I said, Lewis, Bible school is great because we have all these guys coming to Bible school and when they leave they all say the same thing they all say we thought we knew the Bible and he said, what? He said, that's good. And I said, yeah, like Matthew 28, 19. And I begin to explain Jesus name baptism. And he looks over at me in the car and he said, I've been in church 20 years and I've never heard this ever. You know what? The Bible study went forward right there. And guess what? Later that week, we baptized him and his wife in the wonderful name of Jesus. Both of them have received the gift of the Holy Ghost. It only takes a few minutes if we will expand and reach out of our comfort zone and talk to people. We don't have to have a skill set we don't have to have an ability. All we've got to have is availability. If we will say, God, I'm available and I'm willing to say, come with me, visit the church, come and see what, listen to my pastor. People are open to it. I've heard it said many times and it is very convicting. Many people that have come into the church, they said we were only waiting for an invitation. If we will invite them, evangelism reaches every level. And the last picture we have, it's just back to evangelism, what it's really all about. That was a couple. Now it's back to one person. It's just one little boy that received the gift of the Holy Ghost. This picture was from 2011. And I'll never forget that day. Uh, it's just the hunger of a child. It's the hunger of people, whether it's a crusade or whether it's a district conference or whether it's just Lewis and his wife or this precious little boy. And if the, I don't think you could, yeah, you can probably see it here. The tears streaming down 
his chest, how he had prayed and sought God and God filled him with the Holy Ghost. It's all about reaching souls in the kingdom of God because you know what? Heaven's going to be great someday. When we gather on that side of the shore and all of a sudden we step into eternity, we're going to meet people from all around the world and we're going to say, oh, we made it by the faith of God. We made it by the power and the blood of the Lamb. We're here today because of our prayers and our giving and because our compassion and our love one for another. I know you're reaching souls in Columbia and I can see, I, I told your pastor, I said we were here in actually 2014 when Brother and Sister Gann were here because as soon as I walked through the door, I remembered the building, but the platform is beautiful and the walls and all the work you've done. It, pastor, it's amazing. You've done a tremendous job, Brother Sister Huba. It's beautiful. But it's all about souls, amen? Yes. If we're just here and it's not about souls, it's a gathering. If we're just in them district conferences and it's not about souls, it's just goatskin drums and some music and people dancing a little doesn't mean much. But when it's all about souls and the kingdom of God and people's lives being transformed, that changes everything. And we are, of course, raising funds as missionaries. That's why we're home raising our budget. We're scheduled to travel till October 3rd of this coming year. Uh, we actually came home in December of 2020. Uh, so we lost five months in the first few uh, months there, five months in 2021 when COVID hit due to our schedule being in California and Canada, all of those borders were closed. And January and February of this year were closed due to being in the East Coast and uh, New Brunswick, Canada, all of those areas canceled due to the COVID restrictions. But God has opened the door again to begin moving and we're believing we can be done by October and be back maybe in Malawi by the first of the year, trusting God. But it all comes from people's faithfulness. Amen. It's from people that can give monthly. It's from people that can give a one-time offering uh, after service. My daughter and my wife, they have a table set up and we've got uh, hand-carved ebony pins from Malawi. No two are identical. They still make them by hand and those help us a lot with raising funds. We also have a uh, cloth like this. It is a quilt square. And we have them, they're blank, and you can write on them with an indelible marker. And Malawi is a very mountainous country, 10,000 foot mountains, 7,000 foot plateaus. Even our house in the Bible school is at 5,000 feet above sea level. So we have a cold season, June, July, and August, it gets cold in Malawi. So, and we have a lot of mosquitoes and we have malaria. So you know what? Those 40 uh, young men that come to Bible school to learn the gospel, when it hits cold season, we are going to make quilts with these. And they're going to be covered from the mosquitoes, covered from the cold and they are going to know the North American church loves them. If you can help us, these are $25 each and you can sign your family name. You can simply write, God bless you. Anything you want to write on there, uh, it will let them know that they are not alone and we are together in this and that will help us. And of course, we are raising funds for what we discussed just a few minutes ago and that is evangelism. Uh, we, we spend literally about $1,100 a month just on travel and 95% of that is fuel. Gasoline in Malawi is still $5.20 25 cents a gallon. So it's expensive for us to travel. But when it comes to those little boys, the tears streaming down their face or Lewis and his wife or the, or the district conference or the 3000, it's all about souls and you cannot put a value on one soul today. If we looked across our families, you cannot give me a hundred trillion dollars for that little girl right there. You could not do it. You could not give it even for the memory of the night she received the gift of the Holy ghost. You couldn't give me the world to take that away from me because I know no matter what, 
what I can give her fiscally, I can impart into her spiritually. And one day we will go from this life into that. And there's no greater joy than to know that she is serving the Lord and her brother. I want to see souls in the kingdom of God. And that's our hunger. That's our purpose. That's our function as the church. Amen. Amen. So if you could help with that, please talk with your pastor. We have forms that he has, and it will help you to help us to get back to Malawi and to see the kingdom of God moving forward. Amen. Let's go into the word of the Lord today. I am cognizant of the time, and I, I will not be more than two or three hours. Amen. Amen. I am joking. If I was in Malawi, I would not be. <laughs> in Malawi, if you preach less than two hours, they are angry. <laughs> wow. uh, when we go for a, a leadership seminar, it's from 8 to 4.30 normally. And you're teaching from 8 to 11.30, breaking an hour for lunch, come back at 12.30 to 4 or 4.30 teaching. Uh, first time my wife was asked to teach when we came to lie, they said, your slot's two hours. We gave you a short one. <laughs> and she said, what am I going to say for two hours? I said, just talk slow. You've got a translator. Hello, my name is Penny. <laughs> But it doesn't happen that way. It, it doesn't. You know why? We've all got up there and we've taught or we've preached and it just goes on. You know why it comes out of you? They pull it out of you. It's the reason it's called a pulpit. They just pull it out of you. And you're sitting there thinking, I need to be taking notes on myself. God, you're amazing. Where's this coming from? Literally. I mean, you do. You're thinking, this isn't me. It's just you're a conduit and God's flowing. And you're thinking, God, you're so amazing because of the hunger and desire of people. Amen. Let's go into the word of the Lord today. Hebrews chapter 11. Reading three familiar passages of Scripture, verse 1 through 3. The Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report, and through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And we see in this verse very quickly the writer of Hebrews and many uh, historians uh, credit Paul with writing this due to the style of his writing. But either way, the writer of Hebrews is letting us know something very powerful. He was letting us know that now faith is. Not faith was or faith shall be, but now faith is. And I want to speak today from this subject for a few moments, the insanity of faith, the insanity of faith. If you would pray with me for a few moments, Lord, I thank you today for this great church. Thank you for the leadership here, Lord, brothers to Huba, Lord, and the men and women of God that have dedicated themselves to the city, Lord. I thank you for everyone that has walked through these doors, every guest, every visitor, every saint of God, every praise singer, every musician, God, everyone that has played a part in this service today, I thank you today, God, for them. And I pray right now, give me the words to speak, God. Anoint my words, God, and anoint their ears to hear and bind us together in the spirit of unity today, God, that the will of God may be accomplished in this house and the perfect will of God may be done, God, because we are hungry for you, God. We are desiring you. Every one of us could be in a different place today if we so chose, but we have chosen to be in your house the house of God because we desire you more than anything else Lord and our hunger and our desire is here God and you promised in your word they that would hunger and they that would thirst after righteousness shall be filled fill us today God till our cups runneth over fill me today fill my family touch my son and those students today as they're doing the work of God bless people all around the world today God as the kingdom of God and we will be careful to give you the praise and let's clap our hands one more time under the Lord and thank him for his touch 
his presence. <laughs> Hebrews is telling us now faith is. That lets us know it's not about yesterday, it's not about tomorrow, but the reality is when we are in a situation, it is a now situation. Things that are in the future, we can prepare for. Things that are in the past, we can only have regret or remorse or say it's under the blood. No matter what, but we are a people that live in the minute and the instant. And God has so equipped his children and the people of God and the people of the world with an amazing endowment, and that endowment is called faith. It doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter the color of your skin, doesn't matter your education level, doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. It doesn't even matter if you are in the church or out of the church. Every man has been given a measure of faith by a holy God. There are people outside this building right now that may not even believe in God, but in them resides a supernatural endowment that is waiting for the day that they say, I've done it all. I've come to the end of my rope. Let me see what God has. And that measure of faith will rise up within them and give them strength to speak to the mountain and to move forward in the things they never thought possible. And we here today... We are the sons and daughters of God. We understand the power that God has given us through faith. Amen. Sometimes we don't exercise it the way we should. We don't put it into operation. And sometimes we are just like the disciples and we are guilty of being, oh, ye of little faith. Have you ever been there? I have. My faith has been low before. I'll never forget uh, our first year in Malawi. We're in one of those village services and the dust is in the air. And it's just, uh, it's, it's a very hot, humid environment. And that type of the year season we were there and I remember leaving service that day and we get in the car and we'd only been in the car maybe half an hour it was about a three-hour ride back to the house and I look over and my wife said I'm not feeling good and I look over and under her jawline she has a swelling that has started under her jawline and it was getting larger looked like about the size of my hand under there and I thought this isn't good and uh, I was in pre-med for three and a half years wanted to be a sports surgeon before God called me out of that and into Bible school and the rest as they say is history but I I remember we took her uh, to the hospital as we got back in the town and the first doctor said, you've got the flu. And I'm just laughing to myself thinking, yeah, great, great diagnosis. You know, uh, they, they really don't understand. We're very, uh, very poor conditions when it comes to medical care. Uh, we went to another doctor and he had been trained overseas and, and he looked at her from 20 feet away and said, you've got the mumps. And then he was concerned. He said, how could you be an American and not have the, have the mumps? You should have had vaccinations in 1967. And he went through the laws. I thought this guy, he knows his stuff. And I knew then once we knew it was the mumps, I knew this is a two week to three week process. It is incredibly painful for adults and there's no way to treat it. And over the next several days, the pain and the swelling got to look like a softball under her chin and it started going into her ears. And I'll never forget, you know, coming in and my wife would just be flush in the face and she was in a lot of pain and we would pray, Lord, you're our healer. Lord, you've called us here. Lord, you can take care of it. And I remember my prayers. I can just be transparent. You know, Lord, you're a healer and you're a miracle worker. And I plead the blood and I would pray for my wife. And then I would go back to the myriad of things I had on my schedule that day. And this went on for several days. And you know what? Nothing happened in her condition. Nothing changed, but it progressively got worse every day. And I remember walking into the house on that third day and she's sitting on the edge of our bed and her face is just beat red and 
and she is sweating. She is in so much pain. And I said, baby, what's going on? She said, it's into my ears now. It's into my eardrums. She said, the throbbing and the pain. She says, and she's breaking down crying. And she said, Chris, I don't think I can take much more. And I'll just be honest. Chris's patty cake prayers from the last two days were gone now. I was sincere, you know, Lord, you're a healer, you're a miracle. There was no desperation in me because I wasn't the one in pain. But all of a sudden, two o'clock in the afternoon, watching her face, I knew, oh my God, this is incredibly serious. And with everybody working there and people in the Bible school and the windows open, it didn't matter. I fell on my knees and I cried out. I said, God, we don't need healing tomorrow or tonight. We need it now. And tears begin to flow and emotion begin to flow. And, and, and I said, God, I need you to do it now. Yeah. And my little prayers of God, you're a healer. And yes, you're a miracle worker. And by your stripes, we're healed. All of a sudden, we're gone. And when that came out of me, all of a sudden, my wife said, Chris, the pain is lifting. And we literally watched the swelling go out of her face instantly as God miraculously touched her. But I learned something that day that faith without works and without tenacity and hunger, it is dim. Too many things we just hope for God to get involved in and by hoping nothing's going to happen. Too many things we say, God, you know what I have need of and you know my heart. God knows all of that, but he still won't get involved until you cry out and say, Master, you're the healer. Master, you're the miracle worker. How many blind men were in Jericho the day Bartimaeus cried out? Jesus Christ, God manifested in the flesh, knew everything about everybody. He'd walk in a crowd of 15,000 and could tell you that one's a liar, adulterer, effeminate. That one's this, this. He'll die at 303 in an accident tomorrow. He knew everything about everybody, but he walked on by every one of them. Why? Wanting to see who would cry out by faith, who would lift up their voice, who understood that now faith is. And Bartimaeus understood, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And when he began to release his faith, you know what happened. The people around him said, be quiet. I've learned something. When you begin to step out and live by faith, you will ruffle the feathers of the faithless. Or those that are just a little bit too put together, a little too dignified. And you know what? Too many of us miss the hand of God in our lives because we want it our way, not his way. We want to let the blessing of the miracle come when nobody can see it. And all the while, the Lord is waiting for us to cry out with a voice that says, God, you are well able. And the more they tried to keep him quiet. You know, sometimes we got friends <laughs> that are really not helping us. It's it just not dignified Bartimaeus. That's, that could be the Messiah, some are saying. If not, he is a rabbi. He is a man of God. You are going to embarrass us. Don't you hear the thousands that have gathered just to see him walk up the street and you're going to sit there and begin to cry out and embarrass us? Just be quiet. But Bartimaeus understood, you're not the blind man. I am. And my opportunity is taking one step every second further out of my life. And this is my opportunity. And now faith is. And all the more he cried out. And what happened? Jesus Christ shut down everything on the agenda of eternity to heal that one man. And the work was done. He turns around and walks out of the city. No other miracles, signs, or wonders. How many other blind men left Jericho that day blind? 
How many other left with their sicknesses or diseases or problems or perplexities because they refuse to cry out? Too many of us spiritually plead the fifth and hold our peace and just stay quiet and all the while the Lord is stirring us. I've given you a measure of faith. It's not yours. It's supernatural. I just need you to release it back to me. When the Lord comes back to the earth, shall he find faith? He's looking for faith. It's Martha and Mary. We know the story. Jesus was a friend of the family, spent many nights in their home. They blessed him, and I know he blessed them. And Lazarus is sick unto death and they send word to Jesus and his disciples and I won't belabor the story I know most of us know it intimately but Jesus finds out that Lazarus is sick and he finally tells the disciples we're not going now we're going to linger we're going to take a few more days and they thought well you know you're the king of glory and we'll trust you with it then they find out Lazarus when Jesus tells him he's already dead they thought why would he linger and Martha and Mary thought the exact same thing and then Jesus finally shows up and now it's no longer just people gathering around a sick man, but now it is a full-fledged funeral, and they've already rolled the stone over him, and he's been dead for three days, and despair is there, and anxiety and pain, and here comes the king of glory walking into the city, and Martha and Mary both had the same testimony. If you would have been here, our brother would still be alive. They had faith for yesterday, and then Jesus said, but I am the resurrection life. They said, oh, Lord, we know our brother will live again someday in the resurrection. They had faith for their tomorrow, but they didn't have it in the moment. And Jesus said, Martha and Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. If you will believe, though your brother be dead, he shall live again. Roll away the stone. The Lord wants to remind us today in Columbia, South Carolina, that he is a now faith God. He is ready to get involved in our situations, not tomorrow, but but today, if we will cry out and lift our voice to a holy God, he will get involved. Everything changes when we begin to operate by faith. Faith has tenacity. Faith has teeth. Faith likes to break in and break out and break through. Faith likes to just show up. Faith refuses to be quiet. Faith refuses to allow the present situation to dictate to it. Faith says now it is ready. God is a very present help in time of trouble. Let me share with you these five steps of faith. Number one, faith is not silent. Faith has a voice. Faith refuses to be silenced. And we learned that from Bartimaeus. I've already preached it. It's Bartimaeus that cries out and says, I am going to be heard. I refuse to be quiet. Too many of us are sitting on pews where the Lord can heal us, mend us, restore us, open a financial door, open a work door, anything. We need a marriage, a relationship. And we sit here saying, God, I know you can do it. I'm just going to sit and wait. People that sit and wait will still be sitting and waiting at the coming of the Lord. He's waiting for us to lift up our voice and to cry out. And as Brother Stone King said, if you speak to the mountain and it doesn't move, climb it. Yes. <laughs> that means I refuse to give up. Number two, faith is a sound. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's Elijah in 1 Kings 18. He is on Carmel and they have 
face many things. He gives a 63 word prayer and fire falls from heaven. And we see all of these things happening. And all of a sudden it hasn't rained in three and a half years, not a single drop of rain. And the man of God says, I hear the sound of abundance of rain. And don't forget, you have 850 false prophets. They're all gathered together for this. And they're wanting to see the competition between Elijah and his God, Jehovah, and their gods. And all this is going on, the bantering back and forth. But Elijah just says, I hear the sound of rain. And you know what? You can imagine those false prophets and everybody that gathered to watch the battle were sitting there thinking, you know what? Elijah, that man of God, he's not what he used to be. I, I think his time has come because all I know is I'm looking up in the sky and it's looked this exact same way for three and a half years. And he says he hears the sound, not just of rain, but abundance of rain. I, I think he's lost it. He's not where he used to be. I think his time is already passed. And then Elijah does something so peculiar and strange. He falls to the ground and buries his head between his knees and he's laying there on the ground. And you can imagine the, the cry coming from the people. Now look at him. He's so embarrassed by what he said. He's hiding his face in the ground. He's not all there. He's lost it a little bit. He's not the same. Look at him hiding. He won't even look at us. You know, he's, he's embarrassed to look around. You know what? Elijah understood something. He said, I've already heard from God and I refuse. I'm going to bury my head because I refuse to let the things I see dictate what God has already said. So I'm going to bury my head and I'm going to hold my ground until the rain comes and the rain will come. I am preaching to people today that God has given you a word, you hold on to that word. We do not walk by sight, we walk by faith. Stop looking at everything going on around you because it will only steal your faith. Elijah said, I'm not looking in that beautiful blue sky and let it steal from me. I've already heard from God, the rain is coming and the rain will come. But the people needed a sign. Send the lad up the mountain seven times and he finally comes back. I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. It's literally that big or either you can put your hand up and cover it. Either way, it's not enough to cause a rain after three and a half years. But that's what the people needed a sign. Elijah said, I don't need a sign. I've already heard from God. We're living in a generation where too many people are seeking after signs. Jesus said it's an evil and adulterous generation that seeketh after a sign. Why did he call it adulterous? Because adulterous is about relationship. When a man or a woman commits adultery on the other one, what they are ultimately saying is you are no longer good enough for me. I'm looking for something else. And Jesus said when my people need a sign, all you're telling me is I'm not good enough. I'm not what I used to be. And you're looking for something new. We don't need signs in this hour. Signs follow the believers. Believers don't follow the signs. Jesus said we've got to be people of faith. We don't need a cloud the size of a man's hand. I have heard from a holy God and heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will not pass away. If God said it, God will do it. All we've got to do is hold on and refuse to look at everything around us. Hold on to what God said. Faith has a sound. Number three, faith cannot be offended. We get in trouble here. We wear our feelings in our sleeves. Anybody says anything to us, no matter how insignificant, we just get all 
rustled and we get all ruffled and we get all mm, just mm -hmm, let me hold my peace. We don't like anything hardly being said to us. And we are so finicky. The heart, who can know it? I always laugh. I mean, hear people saying, you know, that's my favorite restaurant. Oh, my goodness, you've got to go there. It's great. And then you call them on Tuesday. Hey, let's go. Oh, I hate that place. I'll never go there again. Service was terrible. This We're so finicky. But it's in Luke 11. Jesus begins to give us some steps of faith. He said, you've got to ask. You've got to seek and you've got to knock. We know what he said. If you ask, it shall, not maybe, it shall be given. But then he said, you've got to seek and you shall find the knock and the door shall be opened. It's not an accident. Every word he ever uttered and ever spoke, he is the logos. He is the word of God. He is the eternal creator. Nothing was by accident. Every period, every comma, it was divinely placed by God. And he said, if you want something from me, you need to ask for it. Then after you ask, start seeking, start looking for it. If you're asking for a job, you might want to go look for the job then. If you're asking for a healing, you better start looking for the healing. Is it working? And we're good at those steps, but we get in trouble at number three. He said, knock. You only knock on closed doors, ladies and gentlemen. There are times in your walk of faith that you will ask God for it and you will go looking for it and God will close a door right in your face. And if you're not careful, you will get offended. You will walk away and say, it's not my time. It's not my season. I asked him, I sought him and he shut the door in my face and we can say, I've had enough of this and walk away. But Jesus said, when the door is closed, I'm not looking for you to get offended and walk away. I'm looking for you to trust me enough to knock on the door. He said, if you knock on the door, it shall be opened. Too many of us miss our miracle, miss our blessings because the door gets closed and we say, well, it's not my time, I guess. And we walk away. No, Jesus said, you knock on that door. Refuse to go away. Refuse to be stopped. It's the Syrophoenician woman. And I've got to say it quickly. We know her story. She, she's got a daughter filled with the devil and she comes to Jesus' disciples. And let, let's liken it in the 2021. Let's just break it down to where we live. Imagine a woman walking through the doors of this church next Sunday. And she comes in and says, my daughter is filled with the devil. And the ushers and the ministers meet her at the door. And they say, uh, you know, nice to meet you, man. But you know what? Uh, 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 Pastor, he doesn't have time. Pastor Huba doesn't have time for people like you today. You know what that woman would do? You know what we would do? Well, <laughs> had enough of that church. <laughs> And then we would leave offended and upset. Who do they, I got a need and I'm asking for the man of God and they're pushing me away. And then we would go tell everybody on Facebook. <laughs> no, but that, that, that's only in Malawi. They don't happen here in South Carolina. <laughs> and she keeps pushing. She finally says, you know what? I don't, I don't have time for you, John and Matthew. I've, I've got to see him. And she keeps on coming. And she finally gets his attention, the king of glory. And when he finally looks at her and speaks, he's not inviting. He's not welcoming. He looks at her and says, I am only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, you're not the right kind and from the right place. And you don't have the right background. I don't have time to share with you what I've got inside of me. And if the disciples didn't get you offended, that certainly would have got us offended. And we would have walked out of there and wiped the dust off of our feet and said, I've had enough of that church and those people. And I, you know what? I'm moving on and we would have walked out of the door and missed our blessing. But that woman keeps on pressing. And now Jesus looks at her and says, woman, it is not good to give the children's bread to a dog. Now, if you don't go away after the ushers and the ministers broom you, <laughs> and you don't go out the door when Jesus looks at you and says, you're just not the right kind. 
And then he looks at you and says, you're just a dog. How many of us would have really stayed and kept on pressing? But that woman understood something. My need is greater than my feelings. And my faith is greater than my feelings. And I know who he is. And I know what he can do. And her response to that, you are a dog statement is, oh, that is true. I may just be a Syrophoenician, a half breed. That's fine. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus spins around and says, that's exactly what I've been waiting for. Disciples, did you hear her? Columbia, South Carolina, did you hear her? She refused to be offended. She refused to walk away. She refused to quit knocking on the door. She refused to let her feelings and emotions get involved, but she let faith arise and Jesus said, be it unto you, even this same hour, whatsoever you will, it is done. If we will learn to press on, if we will learn to push on, it don't matter who plays the drums, it don't matter who sits in my seat, it don't matter who gets an opportunity. It doesn't matter who gets blessed. When I'm in a valley, I know who I am serving. We get offended when our brothers and sisters are elevating and it seems like we're going down. And we know how they're living and we know how we're living and it just don't make sense. You know what? You keep on being faithful. You keep on knocking on the door. You keep on trusting a holy God. And if we will keep on pressing and get our feelings out of it, God will open the door. Number four, let me preach quick. Faith, number four, is sneaky. Sneaky. And let me explain this. Uh, Our son Caleb, I was about five, five and a half, and no kids were in the Gibbs household. Uh, My great-grandparents were the first Pentecostal apostolics in the state of Ohio, brother and sister Stump, first people, 1906. They're the ones that won Brother Witherspoon to the Lord. I looked at my great-grandmother's ordination papers from 1906. Her middle name was J.C. Her first name was Wilhelmina. We didn't like that one as much, amen? But we liked J.C., but... For five, five and a half years, no other children showed up at our house. I remember going up on Route 315 Riverside Methodist Hospital in Columbus after spending a year and a half of our lives going to all the doctors, doing all the tests. We finally come into the specialist department, the head of that uh, area, and he sets us down, beautiful room, all the degrees on the wall, distinguished gentleman. And he says, you know, I, I just need to talk with you. I've got the paperwork. He's going through it. He said, basically, your wife's body's not cooperating. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, you know, you need to consider adoption. You need to think about buying a cat, getting a dog. Those were his exact words. I'll never forget them. And I'm just sitting there listening to him, and I am devastated, thinking this is not what I wanted to hear. And while this went on for the next 30 minutes, and, and you know, I'm the guy, my wife says that my expressions on my face do not hide at all what I'm thinking. <laughs> so the look on my face for this poor doctor was this guy's just not getting it. He's a little dense. And he just kept repeating it over and over. Consider a dog, buy a cat, consider adoption. You're not going to have any more children. 30 minutes it went on. And finally, you could tell he was not aggravated, but he was a little frustrated. You know, it's time for you guys to get the point and get out the door. I've got other clients and people today I need to share information with. And I need the Gibbs family to get this. And, and I still had that look on my face, I guess. And he's finally set up on the edge of his chair. And he looked at us and he lifted his voice a little. And he said, Mr. and Mrs. Gibbs. For you to have any more children, it is impossible. And when he said that, there was no warning to me. But something rose up in me. And I stood up out of my chair in that man's office and I started dancing in a circle. (laughs) 
And, and I know, Brother Huba, you don't know me, but I'm not crazy. I'm just a Buckeye. That is a nut, though. That is true. And I'm honest. I'm dancing in a circle in this man's office, and I'm thinking, first of all, Penny is going to have me certified. What am I doing? She's thinking, what is he doing? And then I'm thinking, this man's in charge of the department. He'll have me in a rubber room in an orange jumpsuit in 10 minutes. I'm literally thinking that while I'm dancing in his office, and then I'm wrestling with God. Why am I so filled with expectation? And why am I standing in this man's office, dancing and feeling like I just had victory? What in the world is going on? And I'm wrestling with God. And all of a sudden, the word of God came to me. And he said that with faith, all things are possible. And nothing shall be impossible to them that believe. And all of a sudden, I understood. And I stopped dancing. I looked at that poor doctor. And I looked at my wife. And I said to that doctor, I said, sir, you just backed my God into a corner. I said, get your purse and things and let's get out of here. And guess what? Nine months later, on February 17th, 2008, J.C. Hadassah Gibbs was born. I am telling somebody that faith has a way of rising up even when you don't know it. Faith is now ready to do the work in us. Faith wants the miracle sometimes more than we do. God will not send his word and return back void. Pastor Keller always told me when God sends out a word, it's going to land somewhere. And if they don't receive it, it'll go from her to him, to her, to him. If you won't receive it, it'll come right back. And when she says it's mine, now it comes into fruition. We've got to live and operate by faith and be full of faith. Because there's times you may not know it that it's going to rise up sneakily inside of you and give you the ability and bring the victory. And guess what? You'll say, only God did it. 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 it. He is the miracle worker. He is the one. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. I'm not looking to the left. I'm not looking to the right. My eyes are set upon him because he will bring the answer. Let me hurry to a close. Number five, faith is simply put being faithful. How can we be people of faith if we're not faithful? (laughs) It's paradoxical. It doesn't match. It doesn't work. We've got to be faithful in what we do and what we say and how we carry ourselves in our tithe. It goes across the board. I've got to be faithful in everything. Why? Because he's faithful. Same as I've got to be holy. Why? Because he's holy. It's expected. It's demanded. It's there. It has to be in place. And I've got to be a man or woman of faith. Living in this day and hour, we've got to be people of faith. We have to be, amen, more than ever before. Yes. I look at the day and hour that we're living in, and, and I, I've looked at the pandemic, and, and, and my own personal mindset with it is I think it's like the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. They come out of bondage, out of slavery, and now they're going into their promises and everything that God said would happen. But it's not long that the routine is broken. It's not every day, three square meals a day. It's not a house, a roof over their head. It's not the labor, even though it was a slave, everything was in order. Everything had a strict routine. And some of us are so routine based. And you know what? We have professed it for so long. And now this has showed up. And now we're seeing if we possess it. Because just like the children of Israel, once they got out into the wilderness, and now they're living by faith, not knowing where the water's coming 
coming from. No roof over their head. They don't know where the food's coming from. They don't have a taskmaster, the same voice. Now it's a Moses crying out to them. Everything is by faith. And some of them said, just take us back to Egypt and give us the garlics and the leeks. Give us what's familiar. And you've seen that in the body of Christ in the last year. There's a group saying, I just want to go back to Egypt. And there's another group saying, give me my mountain. Give me my promised land. Give me those cities I didn't build and vineyards I didn't plant. I want to know him. And we're seeing it. Faithful. We've got to be faithful. It was in 2017, AYC came to Malawi. Uh, 46 young people invaded our nation. If you ever have a chance to send your youth on Apostolic Youth Corps, AYC, send them. They will change the nation they go to and they will be changed themselves. It is a tremendous opportunity. Uh, we were in the city of Lalongwe, our capital city, passing out tracks. We had that day well over 25,000 tracks. They're gone in two hours or less. People that aren't even members of the church will help you pass out papers in Malawi. Once they know it's about the gospel. They understand the power of the written word. We're passing out tracts, and that day it was me. I, I handed a half sheet of paper just like this one. It was nice and full color, advertising a campus crusade the next day on Sunday morning at ANC College in a long way. I put it in the hands of a young man and found out his name was Baraka. We began talking, and literally within two or three minutes, the Holy Ghost quickened me. I just knew, Pastor, this guy, there's something about this guy. It's not just somebody I put a track, but God has divinely orchestrated this. I invited him to the service and you know how it is when you invite people are they going to come not show up Sunday morning I'm looking here comes Baraka he makes it into the service he listens to the preaching worshiped all of that at the end of the service the altar call was made 21 people including him came to the altar all 21 of them got the gift of the Holy Ghost that day and God began a work of transformation in his life but I still I just knew there's something more going on and and I you know as you know the $600 a year so that bus ride is $1.50 so that's about a day and a half's wage. So I asked him, I said, Baraka, can I give you a ride back in the city? You know, I had a motive. I did. I wanted to talk to him some more. I knew God was doing something. And all the young people were in the big charter bus. And, and me and my wife were in the little smelly van that had all the luggage. <laughs> and we got Baraka to go with us. And guess what? We're driving down the road just a few minutes. And Baraka looks over at me and goes, missionary. He said, I got to ask you a question. He said, how do you baptize? I thought kind of a strange question for somebody you just met yesterday and been to the first church service. And I look at him and said, Baraka, we baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I said that, he began to weep and his voice broke and he goes, oh God, I found him. I found you. I found you. I found you. I finally found you. And he's weeping. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? I said, Baraka, what are you talking about? He goes, no, no, I got another question. He said, then you also believe Jesus is God. I said, we do. He goes, I'm home. I'm home. I'm home. And he's rejoicing. God, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you, Lord. I praise you. I praise you. I found him. And I'm home. I'm home. I'm home. I said, Baraka, what is going on? He said, I'm not a Malawian missionary. He said, I am from Congo. He said, I've been in Malawi in the refugee camp now nine years. He said, all I remember is gunshots from the rebels and my family going one way and me another. He said, I don't know to this day if my mother and father or siblings are alive or dead. He said, all I know is when I was a boy, my father said a missionary came to the Congo and taught this message to my dad about Jesus named baptism and about Jesus was God. He said, I've 
held on to those two things and he said for the last nine years I've done odd jobs in the camp to garner enough money to pay my bus fare into the city he said for the last nine years every Sunday I've set through service after service and I go to the pastor at the end and ask them how do you baptize and I've walked away disappointed he said but today I am home I am home I found you I found you I found you in our modern culture, what Baraka did for nine years would be the definition of insanity. What is the modern definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting a different result. You tell that to Baraka. I don't know how he missed this. We have 32 churches in the city of a long way. But God's divine providence and God does all things well and God do exactly. But for nine years, that man was faithful and God just stepped in when he was ready. There's something powerful about the insanity of faith that we just keep doing the same thing over and over again and we expect a different result why because it's not us that is doing it it's not chariots it's not horses but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God it's not by might it's not by power but it's by his spirit you tell that you tell walking around the walls of Jericho to those people it's insanity <laughs> Same beaten path, same bricks, same ridicule coming over the wall, same things being thrown over the wall, same smirks, same laughs. It's the same day after day after day, seven days. And on the seventh day, we did it seven times, same exact thing. And guess what? All of a sudden, by being faithful, God steps in and the foundations begin to break up from underneath and the walls of Jericho come down flat and they get the victory. And we sing about it in Sunday school and we preach about it today all these years later that our God was faithful just doing the same thing over and over again and the kingdom of God brings great blessing don't tell Naaman it was insanity same old dirty water same exact repetitious squatting in the water squatting in the water leprosy is still there but all of a sudden when he went down that seventh time under the water God said he's been faithful and now I'm going to show up and now I'm going to show out and he comes out of the water breaks the surface and he's got skin like a new child you know why because he was faithful and this day and hour if we will just be faithful and do it God's way even though it seems like it's just repetitious it don't make sense I don't see the door opening if we'll just keep knocking and we'll just keep believing and we'll just keep worshiping and we'll just keep crying out if we will just be people men and women and young people of faith God will step in let's stand today in the house of the Lord I'm done preaching but I want the Lord to do a work in and out of these pews and in this altar today I want, I want to leave this place today not a ye of little faith, but full of faith. Because I don't know sometimes when it's going to have to sneak up on me. I, I didn't have faith in my mind that day in the hospital. I'm telling you, I didn't. But all of a sudden, faith had an understanding. Faith said, I know you've been faithful. Now let me just burst onto the scene and show you what I can do when I get involved. I'm preaching to beautiful, wonderful people today that are faithful to God. And maybe you have been knocking on a door a long time. And the temptation is to say, you know what, maybe it's just not the right time. 
We've been asking for things a long time. Missionary, it's been 22 years. You don't understand. But guess what? God understands. God steps in. His timing is perfect. He's never late. He's never early. He is always right on time. And today, whatever circumstance, whatever situation you're dealing with, if it's a financial need, if it's if you need salvation, if you need clarity, if you need direction, if you're praying about a relationship, if you need a relationship, it doesn't, if we're sick, if we need a healing, it does not matter what the need is. God has equipped every one of us with faith. That's the beautiful thing about God. He, it's just the common denominator for all of us. Faith is resident in every single one of us. And something just happens when we just let that faith arise and say, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I'm going to trust you for it. My mother is a very intelligent lady, but she doesn't understand car mechanics at all. But you know what? For 79 years, she said, I've, I've rode in cars and I've driven them since I was 14. And she said that these new cars have the computer chip in them and the remote. And my mom had her car for five years, paid it off before she knew it had an electric start on the remote. And she lives in Ohio. When we were home visiting, I started the car for her. She goes, how did you do that? I said, with your remote. She goes, Chris, I just paid off this car after five years. And I went through a lot of cold Ohio winters and did not know. And your sister didn't know that it had an electric start button. I said, I'm so sorry, mom. But you know what? My mom does understand one thing. I don't know how the key works. I don't understand the ignition, the timing, the transmission, the fuel. I don't understand the mixture, the computers, the O2 sensor. I don't understand any of that. All I know is when I take that little piece of metal called a key and I put it in that slot and turn it and put that car in D, I can go anywhere I want to go. She said it just comes through over and over and over again. It never fails. Our faith is so simple. It's just like that. We hold it in our hands and sometimes we just look at it and say, what's it going to do? That key will never start that car until you know what to push. Until you go out there with works and put it in and do something. So many times we have conditions and scenarios in our lives and we're just sitting idle. And God says, if you would just trust me, you don't have to know how it works. You don't have to see how it works. You just put it into operation. And you know how the simplest way to put our faith into operation is to lift up our voice and to say, God, you're able. I put it in your hands. You see the marriage, it's in your hands. You see my finances, Lord, I'm landing on the altar today, God. You see the diagnosis, you know what they said. And Lord, I'm not in charge, you're in charge today. I'm laying it at your feet and I am releasing that and I am going to praise you and I am going to speak to my mountain. We have not because we ask not. Too many times we do hold our peace and the opportunity passes. But today, faith is in this house. The Spirit of the Lord is moving and you can feel it stirring. And I pray today somebody that's prayed for something a long time and it's not come, that all of a sudden you just feel something in you say, wait a minute, it can happen now. God can do it. That's the Spirit of the Lord that is here. That is the measure of faith that is rising. Others have already lifted their hands. Let's lift our hands in this place. Let's close our eyes and let's begin to lift our voice to God today and begin to cry out by faith. Lord, you are my healer. Begin to speak what you want and 
into the air. Begin to put it out there when we begin to speak to the mountain. The mountain's got to move. Jesus did not say hope for the mountain. Think about the mountain that it would move. He said you have to speak to the mountain. If we will speak to the mountain in our lives, our God will get involved and he will get the praise and he will get the glory. Let's lift our voices right now. Let's begin to cry out to the Lord and let the power of faith if you were encouraged by this message and you would like to connect with Ephesus Church or you would like to get in contact with the leadership of this church, please visit EphesusChurch.com. Thank you for being a part 